0: Welcome to 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. The podcast that covers all things about humans, technology, and particularly, the bit in between. With your host, Barry Kirby. And welcome to this episode of 1202, the Human Factors Podcast. Now, don't be put off, but this week, uh, for this episode, I'm going to be talking about uh, standards human factor standards, or really the standards that we should be looking at, but don't let that put you off. Um, Hopefully this is going to be an informative session where you'll be able to um, clear up some of the mystifying bits around it. But before we get into that, uh, again, just like I'd like to say thank you for for the feedback from people. I've had uh, a number of emails and comments uh, sent back to me, and I really appreciate the the encouragement and also the, uh, the suggestions on how to make things better and and I'm acting on that as much as we can. So some of the future topics that are going to be coming up, just to give you advance warning. Um, over the next few weeks we hope to be talking about decision making and particularly decision making under pressure. Uh, Continued professional development, uh, how, how do we do that and how is that facilitated for us. With also a view on uh, mentoring and really what training we should be doing ourselves. And then the third topic that we've we know that's coming up is looking at human factors under the radar. Uh, that's really looking at how people are doing doing human factors without realising it, or maybe doing human factors and calling it something else, and seeing examples of how that is done. But if you've got a suggestion for something you'd like to uh, like to see, or sorry, hear discussed or talked about, oh, if you'd like to come and talk about it yourself, then please do get in touch, and we more than welcome to uh, to try and make it happen. Don't be put off by the fact if you've never done this type of work before, um, if you've done never done this type of interview, then we'll make it as simple as we possibly can and as pain-free. And if you're somebody who is looking to record some CPD, then it's obviously something that you can record. So it could be topical. But anyway, let's get back to standards. The reason why I'm looking at this is really in the past, I would say, two months, I've been asked quite a few times in a Bunch of different areas about how you apply standards, where you find them, and just how do you go about it. Uh, I guess one particular conversation um, really highlighted the fact that there are, there are loads of them out there, and how do you delve into what's important? So, really, over the next 10 15 minutes, really, I just want to take a, a light stab into what standards are about. So, fundamentally, a standard is it's just an agreed way of working. It's, a, it's an agreed way of doing or delivering something. It could be about making a new product, managing a process, or, or delivering a service. It can cover a huge range of activities undertaken by the organization and really is used by the customer or the client to really understand what it is uh, you're going to do and the language that you're doing to, doing to deliver it. So in the human factors domain, the standards really detail how the human should be considered in the development of products, processes, services, and um, I guess the delivery of materials. And really, they they're not just something that somebody's written down and and thrown up as a, as a hurdle. Generally, most standards are um, I guess taken from the the BSI BSI website is a distilled wisdom of people with expertise in their subject matter. Um, Really, that's uh, they're all produced by committee, one way or another. And committees have representation from across industry, and then they they pull together that best, best practice and trying to try to uh, depict it in such a way that is is broadly applicable the The people who get on board um, are people who are manufacturers of, of products. They could be the people who are in, around selling types of things, uh, the, the clients, the customers, uh, trade organisations, users, and and regulators uh, themselves. They everyone has a vested interest in making sure that standards are are right and and easily understand un, understandable and applicable. I guess fundamentally, their knowledge. There's a lot of understanding in there that um, that people can really get on board and basically learn from I guess largely other people's mistakes certainly when we're talking about safety critical uh, industries um, such as defence, oil and gas, nuclear, that type of thing uh, a lot of standards have come about because things have gone wrong and Therefore, the resulting actions uh, are, are the lessons identified, and it's the lessons learned because of that. So, there's a lot of bits there that is that is really well worth applying. But fundamentally, they're there to encourage what I see as as four things: um, quality to make sure that you know what you what it is you're going to get, standardisation so even across industries we can all be talking the same language and understand what it is there. The what the minimum expectations are for doing something. So if you're doing something to a standard, then you know uh, the person who's receiving it should know what the minimum standard is going to get, what they're going to get. And to allow a commonality of language so that in across industries... Uh, the same things, the, the same tasks are not called four or five different things. Uh, we, we we understand what it is that we're talk, talking about and, cross, and we can cross-pollinate. And certainly in, in the human factors domain, I think that is absolutely essential because really the overall processes are largely the same. Uh, we just apply them in different industries. This is, um, I guess, what I've talked about, um, the application of UX or the difference between UX and HF sometimes it can be suggested that ux would start from a top down and not really necessarily get bogged down with using standards there they're more free flowing in there in the design process and then human factors it actually uses standards and things as a bedrock for what they're doing and almost have have that bottom up approach um and perhaps that is a difference. It's something that, that I think we need to investigate a lot more. But it's but certainly from a human factors perspective, and it's pro- possibly one of the big differentiators between um, HF and UX, is that HF should be and do use the sort of standards as a, as a bedrock of, of where to start from. So when we're looking at standards, there are loads. Quite frankly, there are stacks of them that can be applied. And I think the, the term can be applied is, is absolutely essential because you don't have to uh, apply standards uh, unless you create the, the the rod for your own back to do so. So there's overarching standards that apply, not really just to HF, but we've all got to be aware of. So ISO 9001 is the quality standard. And really that is a, um, a do, that you, you're writing down, these are what my processes are, and process business process across the board um, uh, I'd hear ISO 9001 and you the organizations get evaluated every sort of three years to say that they're gathering the evidence and it's it's a self sucking lollipop to a certain extent that you say that you you're going to do things down to 9001 or 9001 is mandating is saying that uh, these are my processes and you just keep evidence that you're following your own processes but you can then, everybody knows that if you've got processes there, then they achieve a minimum standard. And the use of ISO 9001 across industry is now becoming um, more, more strongly mandated. Even my company, K-Sharp, as a micro-SME, we have 9001 accreditation because it gets us uh, a lot more respect within the, within the defense domain. Similarly you've got uh, ISO 14001 which is similar but it's about your uh, environmental credentials and then there's other ones around cyber essentials that's a minimum standard of your uh, IT infrastructure and how it connects to the internet and how you deal with um, uh, in in sort of I guess cyber issues in the main and they're just sort of three examples of overarching standards that not specifically HF but can actually have significant consequence. So we would have our own uh, human factors processes within a large organisation and the ISO 9001 would ac- would instigate that you have to review them on a regular basis. So whilst not a direct HF standard, it's something you have to adhere to. And then we can have specific standards uh, for ourselves. So if you're try- trying to achieve chartered status on your own personal career development, then that's just a standard. People know that if you say that you're a chartered uh, engineer or a chartered ergonomist or whatever, then actually if you come in with that uh, qualification, they know that you've got a certain amount of experience and that you have a a broad understanding uh, of the competencies that are required to get to that status. In many disciplines, uh, you cannot take on senior positions without being chartered. So they know that that, that companies have had that external review of, of your competence. Uh, To say that you're you're fit to practice, but also as uh, in in the human factors world, if you're engaged with a consultancy, they can apply to be a registered consultancy and to have that registered consultancy status with the Chartered Institute of Ergonomics and Human Factors. And what that means is that your that your competence as a as a consultancy has met a threshold, and so then when other people can uh, look for recommendations, then they can see that if you've got the The consultancy badge the original consultancy badge that you've met an expectation and and a certain standard so fundamentally that shows that there's really sort of high level standards that we can use but they're not necessarily i think the standards that people have been talking to me about recently it's more about the standards that are there to um there to help us so it's fundamentally we we've got to recognize that these standards are, they're not meant to be there as something to uh, beat you around the head with. They're not a stick. They are supposed to help. They are supposed to be a guide. And actually, if they're not guiding you in what you're doing, they're probably a waste of time for the job that you're doing. They should be something that is there to uh, to facilitate and, and push you forward. I guess from a from a practitioner point of view, there is, I guess... A few ones I would point at, and should be your, your the, the first place of first place of looking. So, in the grand scheme of things, um, ISO, um, the International um, Organisation for Standards, ISO, I, and I did say that right, but it's a um, it's a an organisation that is on its own a um, an independent body. It's non-governmental because it's an interna- international organisation. It's got uh it's the overall organization with um that has membership of national standards bodies and i'll talk- i'll talk about the British standard body in a second, but is that coming together and basically everything kind of links up to that, that that iso and we'll hear around um different iso standards um as i said i've just talked about iso nine thousand and one um that is a um a standard that is embe- em- embodied as part of this from a british british perspective we're looking at the bsi so british standards institute and and they they're essentially the the uk the, the british version of or the british element of the of iso and is is very specific realm uh, british business then you can look at sector specific um so there is standards around straight up um the the maybe the, the defense industry or the um the nuclear industry, for example, they all have their own um, particular set of standards. Your professional bodies, so we've already said like the CIHF, but the, you've also got the IEA, um, International Ergonomics Association. They they have um, certain elements around them that, that they set standards for what they're doing. And from a human factors perspective, we've also got to work out where we cross-pollinate. So there are other standards out there that have... A human factors element to them and they will probably be just largely applicable to to the job you're doing but it wouldn't necessarily be something you would find out until somebody pointed you in the right direction so a good example if you're into doing safety-critical work. So something that's quite high on my radar at the moment is around uh, safety-critical design. And there's a standard out there called IEC 61508. Most standards have numbers after them, and you 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 slowly get into the idea of using this shorthand, the the number shorthand, um, to refer to them. But fundamentally, th- this is looking at safety ratings um, in safety-critical systems. Now this this IEC is the International Electrotechnical Commission, and that is mainly based on looking at um, how networks, how electrical components and distributed components put themselves together, um, or get put together. Um, but there is a an, an human factors, or more specifically, a human-computer interface aspect to that. So, whilst it's not something that would normally be on my big list, it is something that, if you're doing safety work or sp- um, or di- uh, di- distributed work in that that perspective it's something that we still have to adhere to in the, in the work that we're doing so if I talk a little bit more about some of them in general I think it's it's worth just going through exactly how, how they're sort of put together and where you can get some of that information from so if we talk about ISO first so ISO has lots and lots and lots of standards that they publish for ergonomics um you're looking at um, a technical committee, um, which, for the geeks among you, is te- is ISO technical committee uh, 159, that really look around um, uh, the the standards around ergonomics. Now they've published 134 standards that uh, that apply to ergonomics, and that's a lot. But they don't all apply to everything that you're doing. So they split themselves up into four committees, for I guess four subcommittees, and there is also four working groups looking at other things. But we'll we'll cover that at a different time. So the the main so the main committee, as I said, splits itself into four. And the first one is looks around general ergonomic principles, and they produce um, sort of seven separate standards in in that uh, committee, and they keep them updated the main one i guess i've used in there is uh, 26800 which is really the general approach to ergonomics and it gives you that overall sort of standard the way you can push uh where you can push different uh ideas about what you're doing but it gives you a gen- general guide the the next committee and I, I would say second but actually it's not it's 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 number 3 so sub- subcommittee 3 um don't know what happened to subcommittee 2 um talks about anthropometry and biomechanics 24 standards as part of that and again the same approach if you're doing work around anthropometrics and biomechanics there's stuff in there to uh, to to keep you happy uh the one i've i guess used most is from subcommittee four which is ergonomics of human system in interaction now they produce a whopping 70 different standards um if you're doing a lot of work around HCI, which is I guess what I, I do, 9241 will be quite familiar. And again, a lot of this is dipping into best practice on how to do everything all the way from um what sort what sort of technologies you should be using right to what you should be displaying on the screen um in different scenarios and different environments. Um the last one is ergonomics of the physical environment. So that's looking around um actual f- Uh, workplaces and things like that so as I said there's 134 of them and they're all available on the ISO website which is ISO.org now this is where it gets a bit interesting because if you you can't just really just go and download them for example they all cost money because obviously ISO is an organisation that needs to be self-funding and so unless you can find a way through them either your company might already have uh, a might have membership. Um, each one of these standards co- has a has a price associated for you to download them, and that's the same largely across the board. The British Standards version of this, or so the BSI, um, really there's a lot of cross pollination because obviously, as, as I said right at the beginning, ISO um, is a group organisation of everybody's standards, bringing it together. But you can also have the the British Standard ver- version. So, if you're looking for ergonomics, there. Um, on their website, uh, which is bsigroup.com, they have they have us nicely placed under um, the health and safety sector, and really the big one that encompasses us all is two six eight hundred, and um, which is so b s e n iso two six eight hundred, and again they have the the relevant iso under there, so which is that nine two four one, and you can see it's got the same number and it it directs you up the and that's mainly because there's a lot of repetition between the two so if you've got if you're applicable to one, you should largely be applicable to the other. The British standard does split itself up into um eight different areas so and some of it has contents some of it doesn't so again it covers itself into physical environment, healthcare and medical. Accessibility, occupational health, nuclear ergonomics, and then there's the last three. I think are, are interesting because they've actually got a standard now around smart cities. Which obviously, uh, if you've listened before, you know I've gone about smart smart cities and smart communities quite a lot. So that's quite an interesting development. They also have one around influence in the boardroom, which is really looking at human value management and how um, management really takes into account ergonomics and and as part of an earned value stream. And then finally, there is some free advice there around ergonomics with children, which is worth dipping into. Again, if you want to go and find their piece, that's on uh, the British Standard website, uh, which is bsigroup.com. And then also for me, the, uh, the n- biggest standards I use will be the military standards, um, given that most of uh, my work is military. And we are governed by really uh, what they call a joint service publication, which is a, or JSP a um, for human factors. It's nine one two, and really that mandates the use of human factors or human factors integration as part of the procurement of um, of systems on a, on a military perspective. So the JSP itself is split up into. Two elements. Part one is directive, which is in essence the bit that says that anybody who's procuring uh, any military equipment has to take into account human factors and human factors integration. And then it also has a part two, which is all about guidance. Uh, and really, the JSP is about process, it's about how you should be doing um, human factors and human factors integration. Underpinning all of that, they have uh, defense standards, and the one that is applicable to us is. Um, what's now called 00251. For those of you who've been in this game for a while will recognise that it it did start off years ago as um, uh, 0025, and then changed to 250, and now it's at 251, and I've got no doubt that it will update itself at some point in the future. So, DevStand 00251 comes in four parts, and really looks around, uh, giving you a good description around what is actually HFI, what are the domains, and how should the contracting process engage with um, with hf process and and user user requirements part one talks about um, the early life cycle process and what it is you need to have in place because one of the big things that the people are learning about human factors is we tend to apply it, or it can be applied a lot, as, as a firefighting ac- activity, so when things have gone wrong then you get human factors practitioners in to help try and sort it out. Actually, if we get it, do it right up front, then the, uh, we, can, we can save a lot of that pain later on and you end up saving a lot more money, so there's a, a large drive on getting early human factors in place. Then we can be looking, then part two is about looking at the HFI process requirements for any sort of solution provider. So what what should you have in place as a, as a solution provider to engage with HFI? And part three is around technical requirements. And what's really good about the part three aspect is actually gives you a lot of candidate requirements in place uh, to to allow you to uh, look at what you should uh, should have in place and you can then tailor them to whatever project you're doing. But obviously um, there are other realms out there, so the nuclear um, realm use uh, requirements from the IAEA, International Atomic Energy Agency. Um, I guess that the specific guide that is relevant that, that I've used is the Human Factors Engineering and the Design of Nuclear Power Plants, or commonly known as SSG51, the oil and gas domain have similar principles. The healthcare domains are getting there. Um, there are there are more elements around that. So there's a big drive around where safety critical and um, there's risk risk to human life is getting more and more down that um, down that process route and down a standards route. But they're not everywhere. And maybe in some domains, um, simple things like maybe. Um, You could argue that things like maybe website design doesn't have that many standards, but actually there are bits out there around how you deal with disability, um, how you, uh, the whatever um, platform you're working with, if you're looking at sort of like Microsoft standards or Apple design standards and things like that. So they are everywhere. And fundamentally, you've got to say, well, how do I do it? Um, You've sort of got to sit down really and say right what am i doing what is applicable and what is most useful if you're not entirely sure ask there are uh, a few places which i would go as almost a starting point so the Chart institute of ergonomics human factors website has a section on standards and that's a really good um place to go and actually maybe start that journey um Ask the practitioners in your field if you're in the human factors domain, or you're trying to work with human factors people. We tend to be a fairly friendly bunch um, on the whole, and quite willing to share this sort of information. If you're doing this from a safety perspective, the HSE, so um, Health and Safety Executive website, is, is is useful. So they've got a human factors section uh, specifically. Um, what I would I used in the past is the inspector's hf toolkit um if you have a look at that it sort of gives you areas to that you should be considering and looking at and whilst that is largely around inspectors it gives you an idea about what sort of things people would be looking for so that is well worth a look so when you're looking at standards and you you're presented with this wealth of um uh standards that, that are there then actually have a really good understanding about what it is you're going to do. What is it that's going to help guide what it is that you're developing? If it's a website, then you, look, you want to be looking at website guides. You probably don't care uh, that much about physical ergonomics if you're designing a website, for example. So there is pr- probably some slight bits there, but you can spend more or less time where you think is more relevant. Get a good understanding about what is relevant in your sector. Like I said, if you're not involved in, in military stuff, all the stuff I've talked about military doesn't apply. Just you don't even need to look at it. Um, however, if you're branching into that for the first time, then that's the start. To, that's the point to start asking questions. If you use standards and you apply them properly, and uh, say you sign up to standards, so again, if you're uh, a consultancy, you become a registered consultancy. They can be a differentiator uh, between you and other pe- people who are competing in your sector. So not only they're useful in their own right, your knowledge and understanding of, of how they work is also um, really good from, from a business development perspective or from an individual perspective. So if you are going for a new job or a new role and you actually understand how in the military domain 00251 is applied, if you are in the nuclear sector, um, do you know how that that's applied? That can really show that you've uh, you've elevated your learning. If you're doing a job that has um, standards involved, normally they'll be set out as requirements. Make sure that you do understand not only what, sta- what standard you're being signed up to, but how you're going to show adherence to that standard. So basically, how are you going to verify and validate that you've met that met the standards? In long-term projects, it's also recognised that you, will, you may not be up, Signed up to the current standard. So again, if you've got an older project, say in the military domain, from my experience, that you might actually be signed up to 00250 rather than 00251, and that has you could understand what what the consequences of that are. So I know for a fact that there are certain things in what that were in 00250 that actually got took out in 251, and yet I um, have worked on projects that are current but have used the old standard. And you've got to work out, A, with your client and B, with your commercial team, about whether do you stick with that old standard and uh, work to that standard or do you upgrade your um, contract, your requirement, to the new standard. Uh, And really a lot of that has got to be discussed about what advantage and why would you do that. And again, fundamentally, I can't really stress it enough that it's not only just you understanding what the standards are and saying that you'll do them, but how are you going to prove that. And all that really boils down to is oh, just discuss, discuss, discuss all the time. Talk with your client about applying standards. Particularly they might not understand the standards that you're working to. They might be a first-time client in your domain. So let them uh, know what, what standards that there are and what standards you would I- adhere to and why that's a good thing. Make sure you get the relevant items in, in the contract. And so again, that will largely come under, uh, it will be a requirement. So, and again, it's not just saying that you'll adhere to something, but it's proving how you'll adhere to it. They need not be completely set in stone. There might be some things that you're doing that is particularly innovative, and you might need exemptions. And exemptions are fine as long as you've agreed them with your client, but you've got to make sure you document them, make sure you put them down, and so then going back to this idea about your quality processes, you should understand that yes, you've adhered to this you you've signed up to this process, but you're not going to include this bit. Um or it, it it isn't applicable for whatever reason. But as long as you and your client agree it. And then make sure that all you've all the bits that you've got, all the standards that you're going to play with at that time are actually fit for purpose. Take a real holistic approach. Is there some bits that you've got in there that are actually for this job just not applicable? Or are you um overgilding the lily or pick another metaphor. Make sure that the overall set, You, for me there's nothing worse than just coming in with a boiler set of standards and said, we'll definitely adhere to all of these without just having a quick five minute check of saying actually are these all applicable because uh, some of them won't be um, and that might be something you're missing for a particular job that you hadn't thought of before. Spending time right at the outset working out what standard set you're going to apply Will just save you so much time, effort and pain really on later on down the project because there'd be nothing worse than you getting into your verification validation part of the project and somebody saying, "Oh, why haven't you adhered to this standard?" and you might not have done it, and you've or you might have inadvertently done it, and not realized it, but if you don't have the plan in place on how you're going to evidence that, then you're going to end up wasting money so let's get it right up front. So hopefully that was a really quick canter through standards, why we use them, why we apply them, some places where you can go and look at them. So again, the um, International Standards Organization, ISO, uh, the British Standards Organization, as well as your um, local professional body are all places you can go and look at and get, get bits of guidance about where to go from talk with each other, um, talk to other professionals in the field about not only the standards they apply, but how they've applied them, because as a lot of this is um, in the application, not just the understanding of what it means. I hope you found that useful, and if you have, please do rate and comment on this podcast through your through your listening medium of choice. The We've now broadened out where uh, where people can subscribe to this podcast. So you uh, you might be listening through Apple, through Apple Podcast, uh, Google Podcast. We're now on Spotify, TuneIn, um, Stitcher. Uh, we, we're also on so whichever one of them uh, you're listening through. And actually, if you could leave me a message and let me know how you're listening to this. That would be extremely useful. But if you rate it and comment on it through your medium, then actually that helps other people find find it as well. Now, there isn't that many Human Factors podcasts out there, so uh, let's try and do what we can to um, raise awareness of, of our community. But as for now, thank you very much for your time, and we shall see you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening to 1202. The Human Factors Podcast. Please do get in touch with your thoughts, questions, and comments. You can contact us at www.barrykirby.co.uk and on Twitter at B-A-Z underscore K. See you next time. And remember, it's more than just common sense.